Today on CityCast Salt Lake, in about a month, Salt Lake will play host to the very first Utah Fungi Festival, a celebration of mushrooms in all their glory. Jamie Bonfilio is the festival's founder and organizer and a modern mushroom farmer. She's here to break down Salt Lake's varietals and the scope of her business during what some might call a mushroom moment. It's Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Jamie, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I have uh, heard from friends that there is a growing community of mushroom enthusiasts in Salt Lake. And I'm curious how you would characterize Salt Lake's um, mushroom scene or fungi scene. Oh, yeah, it definitely is growing. It's getting pretty big. Um, You know, Utah, I mean, we have many different species here of mushrooms and people don't even think that we do. They're just like, well, wait a minute, we're in a dry climate. There's not mushrooms. There's not mushrooms out in the desert. Hmm. You're only going to find them up in the woods. We have mushrooms all over Utah. And with that, with the growing change of like mushroom cultivation and people getting more connected with their food and things they're doing, it's also expanding our mushroom community in Utah. We actually have a pretty big mycology community here Hmm. and many amazing groups that host events, um, just like what we're talking about today. But yeah, it's it's getting pretty big. Yeah. To the point that some of the local groups can't even keep up with all the members that are trying to join <laughs> right now. So that's pretty cool. What are some of the big local groups? Um, the Mushroom Society of Utah is probably the biggest one. Within the last year, I believe they've already obtained over 300 members and they're continuing to grow. Yeah, that's massive growth. Yeah. I think when we talk about mushrooms broadly. For me as someone who's kind of an outsider to this community, I think I either think of like the mushrooms I order on my pizza or um, hallucinogenic like magic mushrooms. How would you classify like the mushroom sort of varietals? Well, so I look at, you know, you have your culinary mushrooms, like what you were talking about that we're going to see in the supermarkets. That's on our food all the time. And like the white buttons, portabellas and all that, which are great. But then you have your medicinal, functional food mushrooms that are more like your shiitake mm. oysters, which also can be culinary, mm-hmm. to lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, all these other medicinal mushrooms that you technically would not cook up and eat. Some of them you could on a culinary style. And then you have your psychedelic mushrooms that are more the psilocybin. Mm-hmm. So I really feel, you know, if you look at it, all these mushrooms are just food. Mm -hmm. And they just do different characters of like, oh, well, this is going to be more therapeutic for our bodies, but this one might actually make us start seeing different things, (laughs) opening our mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I just feel like, you know, if you really look at the full spectrum, they're all in the same classification. They just do different things. And then, of course, the psilocybin, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of talk about psilocybin. Yeah. Well, and we're going to get there for sure. But First, I want to talk a little bit about your business because I think the business aspect of this is so interesting. And I also think it's kind of a gateway to the conversation about psilocybin. Yeah. What is your, like, what is the infrastructure of your grow? Because mushrooms don't root, right? So can you, do you grow them hydroponic? What is that? What does it actually look like? Yeah. So we grow our mushrooms on hardwood logs. 
Okay, oh, some okay. of our yeah. So all mushrooms are, they do best on hardwoods on their native substrate, what they would naturally grow on in you know nature. Mm-hmm. They do not do good growing on grain, um, oatmeal, all this other stuff. Now it's something that like was invented back in the late 1920s for faster cultivation for culinary mushrooms to grow on grain spawn. However, it's not really the proper method. So all of our mushrooms, we actually take the wood, we chip it down, we inoculate it after we sterilize it with hot water so there's no contamination. Then we inoculate it with our cultures, put them in bags, and grow it that way using the hardwoods. When you say inoculate, what do you mean by that? Um, Inoculate is like when we take our syringes and we're inoculating the substrate, like the hardwoods, with the liquid culture of the mushrooms itself. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we use plugs. There, I like if on our shiitake logs that grow up, they're actually plugs that we inoculate the stumps with, but the other is all liquid cultures that we inoculate into the hardwood bags. Hmm. Our shiitake is grown the old Japanese way where they're just logs that are stacked on angles and they grow up hmm. the logs. So that is, that's how our grow looks like. Yeah. Um, it sounds really beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's like our farms are actual farms. They're not warehouses with plastic bags and shelves. They're actual farming houses, beautiful greenhouses that have like the right sunlight, the right moisture control. Hmm. They're on shelves. Sometimes they're on the ground. Our reishi actually grows out of the ground. We bury the dunwood in the soil and inoculate it and it grows up like flowers. It is just a beautiful way. And I'm not saying that people that are growing mushrooms on grain is doing anything wrong, but a lot of that method is for culinary, for Mm -hmm. really fast production, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of culinary growers, that's how they grow their mushrooms and that's okay. Is your farm here in Salt Lake or? So we have, we, okay. So when I started my company, I actually partnered with seven different farmers in seven different countries and a contract facility to do our extraction around the globe. Within about a year or so after doing this, even though it's direct farm to table, I wanted to bring everything back to North America. So right now we have about 2,000 acres divided in three states. Utah is our biggest, um, has over 350 acres and about 36 greenhouses that are an acre long. So yeah, we have started production, but again, it's like we probably won't be a hundred percent U.S. grown until the end of this year. It's taken us years to just even get to where we are now in the U.S. operation. So it's it's been a long process, but we're getting really close. And yes, once our Utah farm is up and going, then we'll be opening it up for workshops and public tours because we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, I want to go hang out there. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. 
Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. I'm curious what, what is your like forecasting? What is your forecasting? Like, cause this is, I mean, this pandemic has been such a, a ride for small business owners. Yeah. Has the pandemic, did it impact the growth of your business at all? Um, what are your projections like? Well, in the market globally, so we go by global projections because we just started um, supplying outreach about 192 countries. Okay, we are every week we are opening more and more accounts of companies that want to add mushrooms into every one of their products, from food to supplements, mm. you name it. To you know, coffee, all of that. Um, so yeah, I, during the pandemic, we did kind of take a setback a little bit because a lot of the retailers weren't open and we really support mom and pops and local businesses. Mm -hmm. So we really, you know, that kind of set us back some, but it didn't stop the growth on the manufacturing side that we're doing with the bulk. Mm. So we're all, all I'm seeing is an upgrowth and it's just going to get bigger. Mm -hmm. And this is just functional foods. We're not talking psilocybin. Psilocybin is also going to be like exploding soon as well. Yeah. So you're going to have the functional side and then you're going to have the psilocybin side. It's, it's going to blow up yeah. and it already is. I want to talk about that because the Utah legislature, it's so interesting to me. They set aside some funding during the last legislative session to conduct mm -hmm. a study on psilocybin. They're hoping that that study will wrap up this fall. Um, and this is a, you know, Republican legislature. This is a conservative state. I'm curious what your thoughts are on psilocybin because this is an effort that I think it's really interesting to compare to the le the legalization and decriminalization of cannabis. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to psilocybin, I'm a big advocate for it. My other company is one of the companies that will be getting the licensing, at least in Oregon, mm -hmm. to produce, manufacture, research, and grow psilocybin. So that's what one of my my other company, that's all we focus on is the manufacturing, growing of psilocybin, and the extraction. One thing that's happening in Oregon right now, which, you know, they're, they're becoming fully legal in January, only for clinicians, not for recreational. Right. Therapeutic but even use, right, is what they're calling it. Yeah. Do you think that there's a stigma around mushrooms, similar to sort of the stigma that I think is being undone around cannabis? I do. I do because people have made it that way. Unfortunately, you know, people will go and they talk about like, oh yeah, man, I just got, I had some mushrooms. It was a great experience. Or let's go out in the desert and have this big party and have, you know, almost, I don't know, like, it's just not responsible. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm, people can do what they want, right. And mm -hmm. they can go enjoy medicine how they want. But when you're trying to change it in legislation and bring it to be legalized in, especially our state being very conservative, <laughs> you can't have that stigma. And that's, unfortunately, that's what's been happening. And so like, I'm, again, I'm really shocked that legislation is even accepting this now mm -hmm. and they're opening their eyes to it because it, it's like at least breaking that point, like, oh, wow, we might be able to get some legalization down the road for clinical help, which mm -hmm. would be great, right? But I do feel like mushrooms do have that 
I don't know, that stigma of like, it's just the fun drug to go do, to hallucinate. And right. I, I do believe it's changing a lot more that people are getting into mushrooms and educating themselves. Mm-hmm. It definitely is changing. But you still have those people out there that will say things. And it, unfortunately, it does affect lawmakers and other people that don't know anything about this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, look at the state we live in. <laughs> right. It's, it's Yeah. Well, even the like the fact that microdosing has become kind of a household term, I think, is a real indicator that there's a culture shift. Yes. Last question for you. If I'm foraging in the Salt Lake Valley, what kind of mushrooms am I looking for? What might I, what might I find? You might find morels, oysters, puffballs. Puffballs are awesome. They look, they're just massive, big, white, round balls. And you can, I love foraging those because I always make, French toast. It's almost like tofu. It takes on whatever. Yeah. So it's like I serve French toast mushrooms. They're like, what? <laughs> but yeah, you'll you'll find stuff like that. You're not gonna find lion's mane. You'll find false turkey tail. I feel if somebody really wants to get into foraging though, the MSU Society, the Mushroom Society of Utah is definitely the place to go and they do for forays all the time even for our event we're doing in may we're doing on a sunday a foray for all parts of like utah county salt lake and up north where people can really get into mushroom collecting and be able to identify i would never tell somebody to go up and forge and pick mushrooms and eat them if they don't know what they're doing yeah i think that's very sage I think you that's need, yeah, message. you need to go with people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. A little news before we go. Just a few months ago, the Utah legislature passed HB 167, a bill establishing a mental illness psychotherapy drug task force to study and recommend certain psychedelics to treat patients living with mental health issues. On that list is psilocybin. The task force will conduct research that weighs the potential benefits of psychedelics with the potential dangers and produce a report for the state to review this fall. We are not yet legalizing or decriminalizing psilocybin in Utah, but we are dipping our toes in the water. It's an interesting move from a legislature that threw a lot of curveballs at the process of legalizing medical cannabis, a rollout that was confusing and wonky for a lot of people who were hopeful for a smooth approval process after the Proposition 2 ballot initiative passed statewide with a majority vote. That's our show today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.